Thanks, Robbie. Morning, everyone. It's good to, good to be with you this morning and just continuing on the word. What, what an incredible uh, couple of weeks of teaching on this topic that Phil's brought us, hasn't it been? Uh, the last couple of Sundays, just such anointed teaching. If you haven't heard it, please go to the podcast and listen to it. I've just so blessed and enriched myself with it. And the essence we've been on, obviously, in this theme of facing the future, living our rhythms, um, we're stepping into this area of spiritual warfare, not in a way to try and teach us or give us a bit of a head knowledge on it, but the reality we're saying that this is an essential area of every believer's life that this is something which we all, whether we recognize it or not, hopefully you're recognizing that this is happening, but that this is something we all face each and every day. And so over the last couple of weeks, Phil looked specifically about what it means for breakthrough in us, in our lives, some of the things which he put his diagrams up of his house. I haven't got the house diagram today. I couldn't take you through it just as well as Phil does. Um, But he brought you through just around some of the areas in our lives where we need breakthrough in our lives, breakthrough among us, And today I want to continue this just by looking at this idea of breakthrough around us. It has been one of those weeks as well, just around when we're talking about spiritual warfare. I like I give a whole day Thursday and a whole day Friday and got to the end of it and pretty much had nothing. It was one of those ones, it was just felt so hard. And then um, I was up till about one last night and everything started to come. So I feel I've got more than what I need to say. So we're just going to see what comes out all right this morning uh, with us. Just two things, I guess, specifically that I felt in this area of breakthrough around us. I guess, because there's so much you could say in this area, so much that we could unpack and maybe we will in further weeks. But two things specifically uh, this week and particularly yesterday, I just really felt the Lord speak specifically to us just to lead us in. Uh, two points for us to really take away. And the first one, in terms of breakthrough around us, really, really wanted to focus on and to press into this morning, was the significance for each of us individually in our lives. We're talking about as collective, but individually for you, the first thing that's really important the Spirit wants to illuminate today is the significance of owning your calling. Owning your own calling. Um, lots that, again, Phil has looked at over the last couple of weeks. Today, I'm going to, in this first part of this, I'm going to be looking at the character of Peter uh, a little bit from his story. I love some of the things that we glean even from Acts chapter 3. I always take away from this when I read the story in Acts chapter 3 where Peter and John, they go to the temple and they meet the lame man. And uh, you know that song we always learned in Sunday school, Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, I give thee. I was free paid, thee. <laughs> yeah, in the name of Jesus. Do you know that one? This, it always catches me, you know, the essence of we can only give away what we carry. Peter says this, silver or gold have I none, but what I do have, I give. What I do have, I give. There's something significant in our lives that we need to own our own calling. And yet off the back of it, even with the significance and the weight of the word that I felt the last couple of weeks, one of the things that I recognize even from the character of Peter, and I felt this in my own life at times, is that sometimes when we feel the weight of conviction of the spirit, almost what the enemy wants us to do is he wants us to confuse it with condemnation. Well, it's one thing that the enemy can come and convict us of sin in our lives, which we rightly need to bring and submit to the Lordship of Jesus and present it to him and deliver our lives for him. One of the things that the enemy wants to do is he just wants to place condemnation on us. And yet what we need to hear more than ever are just simply the words that Jesus would have spoken. I love that in John chapter four, the woman who was caught in adultery and the Pharisees dragged her out and they were wanting to throw the stones. And, and Jesus says, okay, well, let him who has without sin cast the first stone, they all go away. And he says to the woman, he says, well, where are your accusers? And she says, well, they're gone. 
And he says this line, he says, well, neither do I condemn you. Condemnation is not of the Lord, but, but, and this is a thing for us, and I guess this is where Phil was getting to, you know, the hyper grace movement says you can do whatever you want. Jesus says, I don't condemn you, but sin no more. As God leads us out of places, and God leads us in areas of breakthrough in our lives, he doesn't want us to be entangled in those areas. It's don't be, don't be entangled in that area. Don't be missing the best of what God has for us. And everything that we recognize, you know, one of the things that I see with this is that the choices that we make are crucial. Um, and often what we recognize is that um, the footholds which creep into our lives, which Phil mentioned, ultimately can lead to an identity crisis. I often hear it coming out of my own, my own mind or my own word, oh, well, it's just who I am. It's just the sort of person I am. And it's not... This is what we need to recognize over the last couple of weeks teaching even and even this morning as we sit and we just worship the Lord. We gather here together as his people. Our primary identity is that we are sons and daughters of God. It's not those things that we say, oh, well, it's just who I am. It's not everything that we do flows out of our identity. We are sons and daughters of God. Not those things that you think are yours or the things that you belong to. They're not. We are sons and daughters of God. And ultimately, what God is asking for, God is ask, isn't asking for perfection, but he's asking for a penitent heart. That's a big word. I learned that in Indiana Jones movie when I was growing up. And I always remember it. It talked about it. The penitent person is the one who bows the knee. God isn't asking for perfection but is asking for us to, to willingly surrender ourselves to him, to buy ourselves to Jesus. And in the life of Peter, what I wanted to draw out with us this morning is just that what are the things that we can learn? This idea about being perfect, I recognize this in my life. It was one of the things I remember at university, just I felt just around, there was a specific area in my life where I heavily felt the conviction of the Spirit. And because I lived in condemnation, I remember for week after week after week, at nighttime, lying in my bed at university, weeping and crying because I thought I'd just blown it. I thought I couldn't be accepted by the Father anymore. I couldn't be a son anymore. I thought like I had lost it. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. And one of the things that I had missed and I never understood was the concept of grace. His grace is sufficient. He doesn't condemn, but he wants to lead us to the point of freedom where we don't have to sin anymore. And he wants to lead us into these things in our lives. And when we see in the life of the story of Peter, we recognize this, that one of the things that can so easily happen, Peter was someone who was led from being a fisherman. He met Jesus, and in his journey with Jesus for years, Jesus gives this call, you know, come and follow me. He journeys with Jesus. He sees all these incredible things that happen. And then Jesus gives this specific call upon Peter's life. He says these words, now I say to you that you are Peter. So his name was Simon previously. He gets a new name. You are Peter which means rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church. There was a call. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, I'm going to build my church, and you're going to be really key for it. And then it's almost like he blows it just before Jesus, as he's being taken away to the cross um, in the courtyards of, of the high priest. Peter denies him three times, and when he realizes what he has done, again, this weight of conviction, it almost feels like condemnation, and it wrecks him. And it's almost like it just everything stops for Peter. He's desperate to just be able to just straighten this out with Jesus. And, uh, and we see this actually. So when he hears um, the women tell him that Jesus has risen from the tomb, the first person that makes it to the tomb is Peter. He's desperate to get to Jesus. Jesus appears to them. The resurrected Christ appears to them in the room uh, with the disciples. The first resurrection appearance and speaks peace. But Peter, there's still something within them. And it's just like, oh, but I know what I've done. 
I know what I've done. And it's almost like he can't move past it. And in the end of John, we pick up the story and Peter's back doing what was familiar for Peter. He's fishing. It's so easy when it's almost like the enemy just tries to derail the call of God upon our lives just to go back to what's familiar and what's easy. And what they do is they're in the boat to see the resurrected Jesus on the shore of the, Gal- of the Lake of Galilee. And while all the guys start to steer the boat trying to edge into shore, Peter's not waiting. He's not waiting to see. He jumps in and he swims in and he rushes in and he wants to get speaking to Jesus. And when they're there, these are the words that Jesus speak over Peter. He says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. You can almost hear the emotion in his heart. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I love that while Peter had denied him three times, Jesus gives him an opportunity three times to publicly profess him again. And he asks this question, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And in that moment, it's like what Phil said two weeks ago, he gives Peter a chance to say, you can start again. And I feel for us in our lives, what we learned from the story of Peter, that firstly, it was giving Peter an opportunity to start again. And yes, in terms of his identity as the son of the father, as a disciple of Jesus. But one of the things that Jesus was giving Peter the opportunity to start again was this, his calling. This calling that Jesus was leading him into. Peter was just going back to what was familiar, back to fishing. But Jesus was saying, Peter, I will build my church upon you. Your name is Rock, and upon this foundation, I will build my church. There's a call that is upon your life. And Jesus tries to affirm this to him over and over and over again. And this is why in Grow, I'm talking about this topic of grace. In Grow, we start off by looking at two weeks of the topic of grace. It's crucial for us. If we don't have an understanding of grace, it can just ruin everything. Not even just to do with our identity as sons and daughters, but to do with our callings. And this is why this is the key verse that we teach. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, so that we can boast and if I was to say Sonia's word that she's just spoken this morning lack I, I, I made Sonia sorry it made me laugh a wee bit because I know it's L-A-C-K but we're all from Lurgan that can mean like as well <laughs> can't it <laughs> that's how it comes out of my mouth as well but when we live in the in this essence of lack you see even, even in terms of what grace is and the grandeur of it in our lives and the freeing power that in our lives. But there's another verse that comes beyond us. Sometimes I struggle to even understand just my identity as a son of God. But you know, the, rec- the truth is that for all of us sitting here, sons and daughters of God, we have been saved by grace through faith, not of anything to do with ourselves so that we could boast about it. It's a gift of God. And then, not because we're living in lack, but actually there's more than that. Haven't we been saved just for that so that we can almost crawl our way to heaven and hope we can get there? No, because what verse 10 goes on to say is this, for we are God's handiwork, masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Listen to this, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Own this personally, for you are God's handiwork 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Imagine this. There's a specific call of God for your life. Regardless of your age, regardless of your background, there's a specific call of God for your life. And sometimes where we get it confused is because we look and we compare ourselves to other people and we think that should be my call. And it might not be because there's a specific call of God upon your life. Regardless of your age, Daniel, there's a specific call of God for your life. And you need to recognize that Paul, there's a specific call of God upon your life. For all of us, regardless of gender, regardless of age, there's a specific call of God that he has placed upon our lives. And we need to seek the Lord for it. We need to ask him, God, what is it that you have me to do? And here's another thing we need to recognize is that the specific call of God upon our lives can change as the seasons change. What often happens is that we settle for a word that God has spoken in the past and yet God wants to speak afresh. God wants to speak in you. In this moment, in this season, there's a specific call of God for you. You firstly need to believe that God has purposes for you and also that God wants to continue to speak and to journey with us. It almost just becomes a lazy application of theology in our heads and an understanding when we just settle for what we have. There's a specific call of God in this season. Be asking, God, what is it that you have me to do? God, in this season, what is you have me to do? As we think about what it is for breakthrough around us, in terms of what it is for the people that I position myself with day and daily, God, what is it that you have me to do? Because for some of us, it might mean that it's a change of circumstance. As we hear the word of God spoken to us, it might mean to change in job. It might mean a change in location of where you live. It might mean change in lots of different things. And sometimes we're a bit awkward with that. But yet this is ultimately what's not just going to lead us to fullness of life. This is what's going to lead those around us into fullness of life as well. As we step into the call of God specifically that he has for your life right now in this season. That's what we need to be seeking after. It's more than just a general call. Peter, listen to this, was fully reaffirmed in the good good work that God had for him. I love that Jesus said to him, it's not just... Peter, do you love me? He says, but feed my lambs, feed my sheep. He's calling him back to that original call. And then listen to this. What happens is that when Peter fully gets this and he owns the call that God has, the next time we see him in the book of Acts, he's in an upper room and he's waiting on the Holy Spirit coming. And then what happens in Acts chapter 2, this little fisherman from Galilee, almost a nobody, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, steps into his identity and his calling. And he steps up and he starts to proclaim King Jesus. 3,000 people give their lives to the Lord. In the next chapter, another 2,000 people give their lives to the Lord and follow and come after this. Phil was sending me the timeline of the book of Acts. Fast forward about seven years later, and what happens is in Acts chapter 10, imagine this again if Peter had just thought that it was all about him being the pillar of the church in Jerusalem. That's where he would stop. That's where he would settle. But yet God does something different again. What God actually does, he gives him a vision. He gives him a vision of the sheep that's coming from heaven. And in the sheep, there's all these different types of animals. And the vision says, Peter, arise, kill and eat. And Peter says, oh, God, I couldn't do that. (laughs) I couldn't do that. Sure, that's not right for us Jews to do that. They're unclean animals. And God says, don't call anything unclean that I've called clean. What happens at this moment? This is the turning point for the church. Listen to this. This is the turning point for the church because Peter is sensitive to the fresh word and the fresh call of God upon his life. And suddenly at this moment, Peter goes to the household of Cornelius. 
The, the gospel message is proclaimed to the Gentiles. Yes, Paul is the one that ultimately brings it to the Gentiles, but the church catches it because their leader, Peter, stood up and caught it. I believe fully that this is why God led them in this way because the leader of the church in Jerusalem caught this message from God because he was sensitive to hear it. And because of that, the church started to just fulfill the great commission of Jesus to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. And look at these graphics on the screen. This is the spread of the church over the first three centuries. The black dots, as you see, this is the end of the first century. It doesn't look that much. At the end of the second century, there's a further spread of the good news of the gospel of King Jesus. Three centuries at the end of it, suddenly look at the spread. Look at the spread as the church starts to grow and starts to multiply. And why? Why, 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 just listen to these words. Why does the church start to, bread and this, or start to spread? And this is the reason. All because one person lived out the call of God upon their life. There was a call of God for Peter. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. Because he owned it. I'm, I'm not saying that none of this wouldn't have happened if Peter hadn't. But he owned his place. He owned the call that was upon his life. And listen, if we want to start to see... Results like black dots spreading around Lurgan as people start to come to know the Lord, as we start to see the spread of the gospel. It takes just one person to live out the call of God upon their life. This room's what filled with about 150, 200 people. Imagine if 150, 200 people took personally and responsibly the call of God upon their lives and lifted out. This is what it means to be part of the church. This is the call that's upon us. And so in these days and at this time, this is the first thing I felt the Spirit say this morning. We need to own personally the call that's upon our lives. I love this quote by Alan Hirsch. I believe that every believer has the potential for world transformation in them. If you think that, that it is such an overstatement, then think of this. Every seed is a potential tree, and every tree is a potential forest. All the potential of a forest is contained in that one seed. In the same way, every believer has the potential for world transformation. There is an ecclesia, that's the word for the church. There's a church in every one of us, and in every church there is a potential for a movement. When we begin to see the church in this way, everything changes. It is a massive shift in the way we see ourselves as God's people, the responsibility that we have. And the second thing just today, just very briefly as we finish, because we're going to finish with worship this song that we just worshipped finally in communion, I want us to finish with it. I want us to finish again. I'd love us just to declare that this would be our anthem that we would be singing over our lives this week as we leave this space. But you need to recognize that as we go and as we seek to do this, there's tactics for warfare. One of the main passages that I think of when I think of spiritual warfare is found in Ephesians 6 about the armor of God. and starts with this, finally be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And it talks about how we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And then it gives the full list of the armor of God. Stand firm in them with the belt of truth, buckle around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness set in place. Feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and then pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Is there any reason, or is there is it any coincidence why we're doing our 40 days of prayer more than anything? This is part of how we fight. We get to join in prayer. We get to position ourselves and to pray. But in this, we just look at a couple of things. 
in this very briefly, just as we close up. In this, as we look at the armor of God, most of the armor that is listed here, we're not going to go into it. I've done, we've done teaching series in this in the past. Most of the armor that's listed here is how we defend. And we do, listen, we do need to be aware we have a very powerful enemy. We do need to be aware of his ways and how subtle it is, and we need to be able to defend ourselves against this onslaught. But this morning, I don't want to talk about how to defend. This morning, instead, I want to simply talk about how we actually advance. As the church, Phil gave a word last week about for the children of Israel, they were told to break camp and advance. <laughs> what does it mean for us to have spiritual warfare, to conduct spiritual warfare with those for those around us? What does it mean for us to go in the attack? He says, he's so confident was Jesus in our ability to do this as the church, he declared these words, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Like if you feel a lack of confidence, listen to the words of your master. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Hell won't prevail against the church as it advances. It will just never will. And how we advance, just two things from this, or three things from this I just want to pull out from the passage. Two of the things that are stated, how we actually advance. Firstly, it talks about our feet being ready and fitted with the gospel of peace. More than anything or more than ever, what the world needs is the gospel, right? It needs the proclamation and the good news of Jesus Christ. But more than that, again, it needs the peace of the gospel as well. We need to be those that can speak and declare this word. We need to declare and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. We need to be those that can declare and proclaim the peace of the gospel to those as well. As we find ourselves, we're by position then daily. Listen to this verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 18. The tongue has the power of life and death. Imagine that. In the words we speak, there is life or there is death. And imagine then the responsibility for us as the church as God positions us and places us in the culture and in the community. Imagine that we can be those that can declare and proclaim life. Imagine with the words that we have, the ways of the kingdom can seem so countercultural, can seem so strange or alien to us perhaps. And that's what happened in Jesus' day. For example, the Jews thought the Messiah had to come and just um, destroy their enemies. And yet Jesus comes and starts to declare this word that Robbie led us in this morning, starts to declare peace. More than anything, we need to be the church of Jesus Christ that declares peace. Jesus comes along and the, the Pharisees hated it. They wanted their Messiah, again, as I said, to come and be strong. But the reality is peace is not a weak posture. <laughs> It nullifies every lie and every tactic of the enemy. And as we move forward, everything we should do should carry a heart and a desire to see the shalom and the peace of the kingdom of God break out amongst us. And we see this, so like in Mark chapter 4, Jesus calms a storm. Him and the disciples are out in a the boat. There's a storm raging and Jesus stands up and he declares these words, peace, be still. In Mark chapter 5, they go straight into the story of a demon-possessed man. In both cases, Jesus rebukes the storm in the sea, and Jesus rebukes the storm in this man's life. And in both cases, what he does is that he rebukes anything that is coming against that is not of his kingdom. And what he does in return is that he allows the peace, the shalom of his kingdom to be released in advance. And this is simply what I just feel this morning is important for us. We need to start getting more comfortable with starting to declare and proclaim peace over people. We need to start getting more comfortable with declaring and proclaiming peace over situations and circumstances. So, for example, one of the things which I've, I've just started to do, well, pretty much every night since the kids have been born, as I put them to bed, I just, 
I just pray peace. I speak peace over them. I speak peace over their bodies. I speak peace over their minds. With circumstances and situations that are going on around us that are difficult for us as a family, I just speak peace. You see, more than anything, what the world needs is that they need the church to direct people to the Prince of Peace. More than anything, people and the culture and community need the church to declare peace. They need us to lead us to the one who said these words, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. In, in a world with increasing mental health issues, anxiety, depression, more than anything, we just need to be people that speak peace. We need to declare peace. And it might feel a bit stupid as we do it, but yet this is part of our responsibility as a church. Like imagine, imagine the places and situations where you find yourself. Like some of us maybe get to further places than others with our work, but imagine the people that you're around each and every day you're not there by mistake. And imagine that for much of the storm and the turmoil that is going on in those people's lives and in their circumstances, we get to be carriers of peace that declare peace and speak peace. This is part of what it is to follow Jesus' second part very briefly is this, um, sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. All I simply wanted to say was this, in a world full of lies, we need to declare truth. Declaration and proclamation of truth is important. Here's just one. These aren't my words. I've seen this online, but just some examples of this. Now, this is, I'm not talking about a name and claim it sort of culture that used to be in and about where you could just name and claim anything you wanted. But this is owning scripture, truth of scripture, standing on the authority of scripture, proclaiming, declaring scripture into the heavenlies, proclaiming, declaring scripture into the atmosphere around us. And it's important to be able to speak it out. So here's just one declaration. The spirit God give me does not make me fearful. The Holy Spirit gives me power, love, and self-discipline. He gives me a sound mind. God is love. He lives in me in all his fullness of love, and I live in him. God's perfect love is driving out all fear. Fear must go now in Jesus' name. Imagine being able to declare things like this, the authority of Jesus. Johnny and the guys, just come up just one we second, just as we close. And then finally, I'm going 100 miles an hour. Last thing I just wanted to simply say with this, so in terms of our tactics of our warfare, we are those that move forward with a posture and a declaration of peace. We are those that declare and proclaim the word of God because it's what people need. But you know what? Above it all, do you know what's the full stop on everything that we do and everything that we say? It's just simply this, the name of God. The name of God. We read stories of this in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and even as, like, as Joshua went into the promised land and things where the enemies were, like, they were so worried and so afraid, not because of anything to do with the armies of Israel, but they'd heard about Yahweh. They'd heard about the name of God. And then in, in the New Testament, in Matthew 1 and in Luke 1, I think it is, there's another name that's mentioned, and this time it's mentioned for the first time to a young girl called Mary. And the angel Gabriel comes and says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. Jesus. This is the one who comes and is the Messiah, who embodies the Messiah. This is the one who Paul would declare these words, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, neither. Uh, rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, 
And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, 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 God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this is why Jesus says these words, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Some other verses will skip past them, but this is Paul's sister, the church in Colossae. And with this, we're just going to simply worship and close this morning. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Church, this morning, all I really felt was just those two points. We need to recognize the call that's upon your life. When we talk about spiritual warfare, it's not for the elite. It's for each and every one of us to engage in. There's a war that's raging around us. There's a call that's upon your life. Search it out. Hunger to know what it is. Step into it. And as we do it, there's a way in which we go. We step out with peace. This is not weak. We step out with peace. We model peace. We declare peace. We declare truth. And above it all and in all and because of all, we do it all in the name of Jesus. Because this is the name that is above every other name. And it's because of the authority and power that in the name of Jesus. It's only because of this that we can do all that we do. It's only because of this that Jesus said that he had the confidence that the gates of hell would not prevail. And so all I thought would be great to do, and I'm going to pray off the back of this. This is a song I'd asked the guys to sing earlier. We're going to sing it again. I would just love that this would be our anthem that we would leave with, that this would be the truth that would be ringing in our ears, and that this week we would not just be people, even if we hear the melody in our mind, we would start to just speak it out. So I would love you to stand with me this morning. We're going to just sing the song. We're going to speak and sing the name of Jesus. Let's just sing it before we go. I just want to speak